Hey, everybody, it's Steve Mathis. I'm proud to say that insulin for diabetes was invented right there in my home country of Canada. Same great country that brought us Ross, Rollerball Peterson, and, of course, Putin. It was a shocker to me to learn that, on the average, the same insulin in the United States that can be upwards of 10 times more expensive than the same product in Canada. The Prairie Insulin and Meds believes that taking care of your health shouldn't burden you financially. I think we all can agree on that. Uh, we've been able to team up with those guys to get Pulpamex customers an additional 10% off the already low Canadian prices on insulin and all other prescription medications. Check it out. Tell your family and friends. PrairieInsulin.com. Make sure you tell them Pulpamex sent you to get your discount. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Steve Mathis. I'm proud to say that insulin for diabetes was invented right there in my home country of Canada. Same great country that brought us Ross, Rollerball Peterson, and, of course, Putin. It was a shocker to me to learn that, on the average, the same insulin in the United States that can be upwards of 10 times more expensive than the same product in Canada. The Prairie Insulin and Meds believes that taking care of your health shouldn't burden you financially. I think we all can agree on that. Uh, we've been able to team up with those guys to get Pulpamex customers an additional 10% off the already low Canadian prices on insulin and all other prescription medications. Check it out. Tell your family and friends. PrairieInsulin.com. Make sure you tell them Pulpamex sent you to get your discount. Thanks for listening, everybody. A Pulpamex Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Renthal on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,500 podcasts delivered with over 15 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. As always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Pat Alexander from Suzuki. You want to talk about a guy that's seen it? done it all in the industry it's pat alexander i'm stoked to have him on the show and uh dive into uh what it was like to uh manage some of these great riders hire some of these great riders and uh, and find some of these great riders flyracing.com from the formula helmet to the kinetic mesh gear to the fr5 boot uh fly racing's got got you covered head to toe uh brayton baggett osborne wearing fly racing out there and uh please check them out on the web uh whether it's mountain bike stuff whether it's uh, snowmobile stuff hey listen it's never too soon. Or uh, watercraft stuff. Fly Racing's got products for you. Hard pro- hard parts as well. Uh, the fl- folks at Fly Racing have d- got into a lot of things over the years. Uh, their firepower stuff is really, really good too as well. So thanks to Fly Racing. I want to thank Renthal as well. The winning brand in manufacturing design for the last half a century. Renthal continues to lead the world at the very top level of sport. Amassing more titles than all the competition combined. That's not a misprint. Uh, over 222 U.S. titles, 213 world titles. Uh, they've been around since 1969, and they continue to innovate and elevate. They just came out with the Fat Bar 36, so please check that out. Kenny Roxon winning some Supercrosses on that. Rental.com for more information on that. Sprockets as well uh, from those guys, of course. And uh, Max's Tires, mountain bike tires, UTV tires, light truck tires, and their MXSTs. 
developed by Jeremy McGrath, used by Alex Ray out there. I know you're in the market for tires if, you, if you're riding a lot these days, and what else is there to do? Uh, check out Maxxis next time you uh, want to do something like that, and check out their MXST line. Uh, so they've done a good job with that. Uh, Maxxis.com for more information. I just hooked up Ezra Yogi Lusk with a set of mountain bike tires from the folks at Maxxis. So uh, thank you, uh, Maxxis, uh, Fly Racing, and Renthal for coming on board. Thank you, people, for listening. This is a good podcast. Please pay attention to it. All right, here we go. And now on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, as promised, uh, a man I don't know that well, but certainly ran into in the pits over a number of years. And uh, you want to talk about history in the sport. Pat Alexander from Suzuki certainly has it. What's up, Pat? How are you? Thanks for doing this. Oh, I'm doing really good, Steve. Thank you for uh, the call. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked to do this. I love talking to the older guys. No offense, the older people, the guys that have been around so long, because you have so much perspective on the sport and where we're going and where we've been. You know, um, I mean, I've been in it a while. This is my 26th year in the pits, but you've got me covered by a long shot. So, <laughs> well, you can over double that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? And we'll get into your current job and everything else. But right now, uh, you know, you're not so much involved in the Supercross Motocross stuff anymore for Suzuki. But you know all about it. You know, you know the races. Going back from your days as a mechanic, and we'll dive into that too, to what you see the sport now. What are your thoughts? I mean, we're bigger. We're, we're, are we better? Are we, you know, um, motorcycle sales have certainly been hit lately. Uh, what, what's your thoughts overall on, on where we're at as a sport? Well, overall, as a sport, we're we got an issue right now because of the, the yeah. coronavirus. But yeah. virus, but that's that's not only Supercross and Motocross. That's hitting the entire uh, sports world. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, as as if you date back to last year, going into this year, mm-hmm. um, Suzuki, um, as you know, our sales have dropped off a bit. So had to conserve some and uh jgr was hit as long as as well as some of our other uh stuff that was going on Mm -hmm. um it has been a tough season for jgr whenever we pick back up uh and certainly you know i I've, i've likened suzuki's situation nowadays to it wasn't that long ago that yamaha was in the same boat they had there was the star guys on a 250f and not many privateers riding them and not many guys choosing to, to ride them. And, you know, they've they've come up with some great product and they've rebuilt it. And Suzuki's kind of in that lull right now. But on top of that, Pat, like, you know, you guys pick up Tickle, he gets hurt. Pick up Joey Savacci, he gets hurt in the offseason. Like, Jeremy and Coy over there at JGR uh, are trying to build something. And they're good partners, I imagine, for you guys. But, damn it, this doesn't seem like anything's going the way that Suzuki and JGR wants it. Well, that's correct. I mean, you can look back in the history, and it's just our turn right now to <laughs> right. to get the bad luck. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, all the companies go through it once in a while. Honda did for a little while there with uh, Roxon and some of it, their group, and I mean, it just it just goes around. Right. We're our numbers up, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what's your gig now at Suzuki? A while, a couple a couple of years ago. Things split up. Chris Wheeler is more the Moto Supercross guy. You took the road racing end of things, from what I know. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, I, I'm uh, taking care of road racing for Suzuki now, as well as some budgeting stuff. And um, 
I work with Chris on contingency. So we split up mm-hmm. the department uh, pretty good. And how do you like, I mean, you're a moto guy, your roots are a moto, and we'll dive into that, but have you always been part of the road racing guy? Have you, have you, have you enjoyed it? Do you, do you like the switch? Well, yeah, I like the switch, um, mainly for the technology. There's, yep. there's quite a bit of technology in road racing. Um, there is in motocross as well, but it, road racing, it seems like it, they dig down deeper. Right. Um, and it's, it's more theoretical, um, than, uh, seat of the pants. Sure. Sure. Um, because as, as you know, uh, motocross riders test the bike and yeah, the lap time predicts a lot of things, but it's, it's also rider feel as well. Mm-hmm. Road racing's kind of similar in that, that aspect, but it's, I mean, there's there's more to it because of the electronics. Right. And I think the track conditions stay the same, right, every single lap. So you know what's going to happen. You know what line you're taking. Yeah, but the tires change. True. <laughs> so yeah, good point. It's yeah. not much different from motocross when it comes to that. Yep. What's the state of American road racing? Now, I know when DMG took over, they came in with some rules. Nobody liked it on the OEM side. A lot of teams said, yeah, we're out. Um and, and and there was another group that started up again. What's it like in American road race? And pardon my ignorance to it. I just, I don't follow it uh, anywhere at all. But where are we at with, with American road racing? Well, it's it's doing doing fairly well. I mean, um, we're getting TV packages uh, like we hadn't in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the racing's phenomenal um, between our guy, Tony Elise, and... Um, Cameron Bouvier, who was the champion this year, but uh, yeah, we've we've won a championship um, with our new bike in set 2017, and um, finished second the last two years. So okay, and is that yeah. is that 750s, 600s? What do you what do you again? No, that's thousand cc. Oh, thousand uh, superbike. We're on superbikes now. Okay, all right. See, I don't even know that much. So um, I know when I worked at Yamaha and on the race team. You know, they, they ran 750s, and the Graves guys did the 600s, and it was a big deal to win either class. It, it You know, OEMs were killing for it back then, and uh, it's a huge it's a huge bike that sells, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this year we weren't lucky enough to – or last year we weren't lucky enough to win the 600, but we did in 2019. Yeah. So we, we've done well. Yeah. Um, um, sales good for Suzuki street bikes? I mean, all, like like I said, like we said at the beginning of the show, lots of things have – Dropped off, but generally speaking, are, are sales okay for Suzuki Street um, Bikes? Yes. Yeah. Uh, sales sales seem to be moving along. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you got to remember, I've been in the industry a long time, so I've seen it at its gigantic high. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly right. Like, you're, oh man, those those days are those days ever coming back, Pat? <laughs> I don't think so. I huh? don't think so. <laughs> I was laughing because I've been going through some old cycle newses on this break and. There's full page ads from the OE from Suzuki. This one was from Suzuki. There's full page ads for winning a round of the Golden State National. So, like, congrats to Kehoe or Holland or whoever it was. You know, oh, yeah. he, I'm just like, when advertising budgets were bigger back then. <laughs> oh yeah, we were um, touting our wins back then. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Uh, how many years at Suzuki for you? Uh, this is I'm going on my 44th year. I've, Jeez, been doing it forty three yeah. as of January. Wow, crazy when you look back at it, huh? Do you ever sit back and look at it? You're just like, geez. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, those those cycle news things pop up, and it's like, going, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I was there. I was standing there. I was trackside. Whatever, whatever it was, right? Yeah. Um, You've, you've run the amateur program for Suzuki. You've run the race team. Uh, as you said, you're running the road race things now. Um, you've been a mechanic at Suzuki. Am I missing any jobs for you over the years? <laughs> no, I've, I've stayed mainly into uh, racing. Yeah, yeah, really, right? You ever come close to leaving? Did you ever see a, another job opportunity? Did someone approach you with a, with a, with a checkbook? Uh, did you ever come close to leaving Suzuki? Um. Just one time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I stayed loyal with Suzuki just because uh, it, was, it was a good family and still is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's jump in the time machine a little bit. So where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from re originally Redondo Beach, California. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I, then I grew up... Uh, a little bit later in Garden Grove. Okay, so I've been stay. I've stayed at California. Right. When do you first remember like riding and racing dirt bikes? I assume that's how you started. That's how we all get started at some point. Oh yeah. 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 Nineteen sixty nine. Wow. Your dad's into it. Gets you out there. No. No. Believe it or not, no. I was I was a beach bum, um, living in Redondo, and then we <laughs> moved out to Garden Grove, and my life ended. I was like. We're 11 miles from the beach. What am I going to do? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but, but we were just, we weren't far from uh, Saddleback. So I took up riding up at Saddleback. And then uh, a friend, friend in high school got me into racing and raced for a few years and then yeah. became a mechanic. Wow. Those are, and those are the days where, I mean, I, I, from what people tell me, you could race Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, right? Like it was just insane. Yeah, night racing was pretty fun. Um, I did a lot of night racing. Um, Ascot. Yeah. Ascot night races, Lions Drag Strip, El Toro Raceway, Escape Country, Saddleback, Carlsbad. Jeez, I, yeah, yeah. Corona. There, was, there yeah. was quite a few tracks to choose from back then. Yeah, Indian Dunes, is, or is that too far for you to go? For us, that was too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we stayed mainly, you know, uh, west or south of uh los angeles right furthest furthest we usually went was irwindale oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah uh never i never got to ride saddleback only saw it in photos and everything else growing up in canada um i always wanted to you know mxa always made it out to be the mecca of motocross <laughs> so i always wished i could put some laps uh, on at saddleback i was at ktm one year uh we tested at carlsbad this is when it was almost done and uh I jumped, put on boots and a helmet, and I did a couple laps around Carlsbad, like on a on a test bike, just to say I rode Carlsbad, just so I can yeah. be like, I did it, I did it. So, yep, I've had a lot of miles at Carlsbad. What what? Uh, how did you get to be any good? Did you get to a certain level? What what uh, what made you go into the uh, mechanics? I'm I became a pro um, for a short period, got hurt, and mm -hmm. then uh, ventured off, actually trying to make money. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it, uh, believe it or not. Were you always uh, handy working on bikes? Were you always doing your own work and everything? A bit, yeah. Yeah. And I uh, took uh, classes in high school and then in a small engines class. Oh, okay. Uh, so I I was fairly proficient. I wasn't the best one at, at that time. But right. when, 
when I went to work for DG, I, I learned a lot. Oh, okay. So, Harry Clem. so Harry Clem was at DG then? Uh-huh. And then he hires you? Well, actually, DG hired me. Okay. Harry was, uh, he was just another guy in the shop. Did, uh, all, did Oliver the work there then? When did, did Bob Oliver work there at some point? Uh, don't recall. Okay. All right. And this is when DG was just a powerhouse, right? Yep. It was DG and FMF back then. Yeah. So that's where you start learning really how to modify motorcycles, how to really perfect your craft of being a mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I did some, I used to go down to FMF because, uh, the kid that I went to school with was riding for them. Okay. And I was kind of helping him with his bikes a little bit. So I went to FMF, was hanging out there. Not, I never really got hired on. And then um, he he ended up ride, getting a ride for DG, and that's how I ended up getting a job at DG. Oh, okay. All right. So what year is this? This is like mid-70s, this, late 70s? Um, It was 75, I believe. Okay. So Elsinores are out then. Honda Elsinores are out. And, yep. Yeah. And that's kind of the the thing to have back then. Yep. God, it was – and. Then, I, I look back or I talk to those guys, you, you know, people who have been mechanics back then. I mean, you guys are moving the shocks. You're, you're extending them. You're, 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 billet, you're gusseting up the frames. I mean, this is a true mechanic back then. This is not changing parts anymore. Well, back then, too, uh, when, I, when I started working for DG, we were building what we called DG Flyers. It was a different frame with either a Yamaha or a Honda engine. Oh really? I don't. I don't remember reading anything about that. So they actually sold like a bike. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's cool. We 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 took a production bike, put put this frame on it. It was Profab frame, mm -hmm. and then um, just uh, made engine modifications to it, and off it went. So how do you get the job as a race team guy at Suzuki? Well, um, guy by the name of Brian Linus. Oh, heard of him? Yeah, heard there. of him. Right. Um. I was palling with him a little bit when I was on the Trans USA, and um, he they needed a, a mechanic because Keith McCarty had quit and left. So um, he asked me if I needed a job at uh, if I had wanted to work for Suzuki, and I said, "Yeah, of course." Yeah. Um, what were you doing at Trans AMA? Like, were you going to all the races? Were you just working for DG at these things, or? Yeah, I was working for DG, and um, Gary Chaplin was riding oh. for him back then. So I was Gary Chaplin's mechanic. Here's where our paths cross. In 1991, I actually stayed with Gary Chaplin in in uh, in California for a little bit. Oh, good. How crazy is well, that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I stayed in his motorhome during the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, your parents, whatever, you have, you've got no wife or girlfriend, and it's just like, hey, I'm going on a box fan. I'm doing the circuit, basically? Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. God, I'm, that's been pretty – was it cool? Like, were you stoked? Like, I, you know, first time I got a gig coming down from Canada, you know, driving a box fan, working for a privateer, I, I, just, I thought I was the luckiest guy in the world. I, I might have paid to done it. You know, were you the same way? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. When I when I first went on the road, um, we went out for one month. I took a sabbatical from my uh, job doing fire and water damage homes insurance. Oh, OK. Lines. And uh, went out on the road for about a I think it was a month, month and a half mm -hmm. uh, again with my that classmate of mine. Yeah, he was he turned pro 
he was actually a pretty good pro at one point and uh, ended up hurting his back. Uh, mainly, it wasn't, uh, f- well, motorcycling eventually got to him, but yeah. he never really broke his back. He had a hereditary problem with his back. So oh, okay. Caused his hands to go to sleep. But he had some good runs. Um, I mean, claim to fame for us uh, was he got the uh, hole shot at the uh, Mid Ohio GP. Oh, okay. So you could yeah. see you could see a number sixty six. That was uh, this friend of mine. Oh, uh, who was it? What's his name? Uh, Mark Tyre. Oh, okay. All right. So you were his guy, and you guys hold. Yeah. Yeah. How cool would that have been, right? Oh, oh yeah. Hole shot at GP, right? Yeah, exactly. Um. So who's your who's your first rider? Um, basically, it's Suzuki was uh, Danny Laporte at Laporte. Okay, um, so you team up with him, right? Did you know him at all because of SoCal stuff? Like, did you... <laughs> believe it or not, uh, I didn't really know Danny that well. Um, but uh, yeah, I knew he was a local California yeah. kid coming yeah. up and r- working with Suzuki, obviously. Um, and what I found out is. Um, my friend Mark Tyre ended up breaking his leg at Ascot one night. <laughs> oh, bro, breaking Laporte's leg? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, hey, what's up? Um, that's funny. Yeah, it was probably one of those things, like, I mean – you're growing up in California in Redondo and then Garden Grove and you're in the industry working for DG. So like Marty Smith and Tommy Croft and, and these guys, like you you see these guys on a Wednesday night racing or, or whatever. I'm guessing the off factor Laporte or any, the off factor for you is not quite there as it would be for say a guy like me at the time. Right. Like you're kind of like you're in the industry. You're just not a factory mechanic yet. Yeah, that's, yeah. that was correct. So that's 76. When do you, Work for him. Uh, for Daniel Port, I started working for him at the beginning of '77. '77, okay. Yeah, i I started working for Suzuki that that very at that time. Within like a week or two, we I went down to uh, got in a box van and mm-hmm. went down to Florida. Yep. To race the the Winter Series down there, and that was my introduction to Suzuki. And. Uh... Was it kind of so? How were the bikes back then with Suzuki's? Were they were they compet? I mean, obviously we'll get into the bomber years and all that when they were the bike to have. But starting out, were they on the par with everybody else? Did you feel? Did you have to guys to do a lot of work to them? Well, we always had to work on them. They're, that's why they're called works bikes. But um, back then, they were pretty competitive. Yeah. Um, okay. We ended up actually that year, Danny in florida won the 125 uh florida winter series i believe and he was racing the 500 but i don't think he ended up winning that we ran multiple classes in back then in florida yeah yeah it was a big deal right to do those um yeah i know you, you i was just reading an old again back to an old cycle news like in like 1990, like the entire factory field was racing Paris the week before Anaheim won. They just showed up to, you know, to shake down their bikes, right? Like that's just how it went. You're, yeah. like, you're like, that would never happen now. Just never. But everyone was like, yeah, cool. Let's go to local race and break in the bikes and get ready for Anaheim. So Yeah, that was, that was kind of it. Uh, we started out doing that in Florida. We only did it another year or two, I think, after that is 
we stopped doing that and started racing the Golden State Series. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, Laporte, you're working for Laporte. He's got uh, he gets second in 77 in 125 motocross. Mm-hmm. That is let Brock by, correct? Right. We we ended up second, but we tied. That yeah. was the first time we tied anybody's tied a championship motocross. Well, so Hannah, for people don't know, uh, Hannah Hannah's leading, or is it is he further back than that? No, he was he was leading. Yeah, he the was race. leading. He was leading the race, and then uh, Keith McCarty put the board out because they needed a spot. Yamaha needed a spot for Brock uh, to win. You know, to get to tie with Danny. What what place are you? What places are you and Danny at this point at that race? Uh, I believe Danny was fourth at that time. Okay. At the end of the race, um, he was back quite a bit further. He crashed, um, and was driving through the pack to try and catch uh, the two Yamahas. Did you know what was going on when it was going down? Like, were you there? Were you standing right there? And you, you know, they, yeah, yeah. So you knew, like, hey, they're 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 fixing this thing. Well, we didn't. You don't really know it. You you feel it, but you don't really know until it, right. Like like you said, the board came out. Yeah, yeah. And I, ne- to be honest with you, I never saw the board. Okay, all right, yeah, because just an iconic because, photo, right? Like nowadays, yeah, yeah. Because Keith was up in front of me, and I was down down a ways further. Oh, okay. On the mechanics line. Yep, yep. Were you pissed off? Were you bitter? Or was it? I mean, because certainly you as a manager later, you understand that kind of stuff, right? But at the time, were yeah. you like super pissed? <laughs> um, kind of, I would say more shell shocked. Mm-hmm. How did Danny take it? Oh, uh, he seemed to be okay about it. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it is what it is. Yeah, you, know, you can't do much about it. No, for sure. God, tying. So you tied Glover and uh, got second in the series in '77. Um, did Danny always? Did Did he ever? Like obviously, this was back in the day when the European guys were, were were really good, if not better than a lot of the Americans. Did he ever say like, "Hey, I want to go to Europe at some point. I'd like to go to Europe." I and mean, obviously, he didn't end up going until nineteen eighty two. But did you kind of feel like Danny wanted to do that? Oh yeah, he was basically. You'd have to say he was like one of Roger's proteges um, at that period. He was. He went over to Belgium and rode rode in. Uh, oh, he did. Okay. Some, yeah, some of Roger's uh, tracks and stuff. Oh, so he was like training in Belgium, like just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so yeah. it was in him all the time. To yeah, go pretty over. much. Yeah. Did you want to go? Um, I had thought about it, but I mean, that would have been um, at that time. I would have had to leave Suzuki. Right. They weren't going to put him over there for Suzuki. No. No. Um. So do you work for Danny for what? How many years? I worked for him, for him from 77 until uh, nineteen, the end of 1980. Oh, so you were with him when he won the 500 title? Yeah. Sweet. That's awesome. Like, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then 1980, Suzuki moves you into manager, or what do you do then? Um, 1981, I worked for uh, Marty Smith. Oh, he had that's moved right. to Suzuki yeah, the, year, that's right. the year before. How was that? That was fun. Yeah. I I really enjoyed uh Marty. Good guy, yep. good person. He was um at that time it, he was pretty burned out, um, seemed like. But we had we really had a lot of fun. He uh he was never really the same after that big crash, right? That's kinda of what he told me. 
like uh, yeah. whenever that pelvis was it a pelvis or a hip or something. Yeah, he yeah. hurt himself pretty good. Yeah. Um. So you're with Laporte, and then you work for for Marty. Two like so, just the epitome of Southern California motocrossers. Those two guys, right? <laughs> like just yep. chicks probably everywhere. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of fun. Uh. So at that point, you see the Suzuki. Uh, they've got Bomber, this kid named Mark Barnett, who used to ride for FMF, uh, and then he gets a Suzuki ride. Bomber is uh, pretty badass, huh, by 81. He's just the guy. Oh, yeah. Um, he was the year before. Just he had um, – I, I don't know if it was 80 or 79. He crashed pretty hard um, and um, had a concussion. Mm-hmm. And that took him out for a while. Oh, did it? Otherwise, okay. he, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, he would have been there at, at the very, at the very beginning as well. At this point, uh, you know, Suzuki's got. When does full Florida come in? Is that eighty one? Yeah, it, they've got this full Florida it, suspension system. That's just the bomb, I guess, right? Yeah, we were we were racing uh, prototype uh, bikes in eighty. At the end of eighty, okay, we'd got yeah gotten uh those prototypes and then then they they became uh works bikes in 81 now were they were they was that when you tested it was it i mean forgive me like i I just i'm I'm not that old but this this thing really did change the bike right like i mean this this was revolutionary for the time it was unbelievable yeah okay all right so so when you put it on the bikes, you're like, holy shit. I mean, I remember being a lot of moving parts, Pat. There was a lot of parts involved in that system, right? But it worked really well. Well, the the 81 bike um, was, I mean, f- literally phenomenal. It was lighter than anything else out there at the time. Was it? Yeah. Um, in fact, they made a – basically, the the rule change was made because partially because of our bike, I think. Um, the weight it was rule? lighter than yeah, yeah, yeah. It was lighter than everybody else's bike by quite a bit, and uh, had good power. And the suspension was like I like you were saying, it pretty much was unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Like this is the time in motocross where you could show up with something that you know kind of catches everybody by surprise. You can't do that so much anymore, right? The bikes are you know like you know you guys aren't showing up at JGR with some some new suspension system or whatever uh, production rule, you know, because of the production rule. But back then, I guess, yeah, hey, check this out. We developed it. Our engineers in Japan did this, and, man, it worked. So Yeah. Um, so when does Suzuki, after 81, after Marty leaves, they, they come to you and make you a manager? Yeah. they um, At that time, a guy by the name of Larry Griffiths was. Um, oh, I didn't know Larry. I thought he was always at Yamaha. Um, no, he spent a uh, couple of years at Suzuki, I believe. Oh, okay. After Mark Blackwell had left. So Griffiths leaves and they just, they come to you? Uh, yeah, Griffiths came over to me and he said, I think we're going to, I'm leaving to Yamaha and I Uh think we're going to make you a team manager. I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so like it wasn't. Like you weren't burnt out or done being a mechanic by any means. That wasn't something that you no. sought out. No. Oh, okay. Interesting. No, they. Um, well, you got to remember my history. I'd, I'd started in '77. Mm-hmm. By the end, 
I think the end of 77, I was the the oldest mechanic at Suzuki, basically. Because <laughs> <laughs> Lunas left. Yeah, Lunas left. Yeah, Brian yeah. had left at that time, and then some of the other guys have had moved on as well. Oh, okay. So. Oh, interesting. Uh, and Jeff Clark was there, right, working for Bomber? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, Jeff had come in at that time. I called Jeff for a story one time. He's a really nice guy. I got a hold of him. I forgot how I got a You know, Larry Ward got me the number. And I called, I called Jeff. Super nice guy. He couldn't remember anything that him and Bomber had done. <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like, hey, Jeff, what about this? He's like, yeah, I don't know, man. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm like, all right. It well, was, it was surprising because he went over to Europe with Bomber. I believe it, they went to Czechos. Oh, right really? Here. Yeah. Um, yeah, for the Nations. For the Nations, right, in 83. Yeah. That was 83. So uh, so you're fine with manager. You probably get a pay raise, so it's like, cool, sweet. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. it was um, It was interesting. It was back then um, we'd won the 81 championship. Mm -hmm. They ended up changing the rules to make our bikes heavier. So it was a it was a different change for us uh, trying to get get up to speed. Mm -hmm. So that was that was a trying year for our two fifty and five hundred. But the the one twenty five Barnett was on it, so it wasn't too too much of a problem. You mean in eighty two or eighty one? Yeah, in eighty two. Eighty two, right? So Bomber does he, he wins a title in eighty two Supercross title? Uh, eighty one. 81, okay. Uh, 82 is Hanson. That's right. He, he barely – so you're the manager. Uh, what year did he almost sweep the Nationals except for the broken collarbone? Uh, that was in – Was that 81 or 82? I believe that was 82 when Ward ended up with the championship. Or no. No, Ward got – Barnett oh, won the championship. Yeah. But at the last race at Carlsbad, he broke his collarbone. Or other, otherwise, he would have had an undefeated season. Yeah, and and there was no doubt he would have won that race, right? Like, I mean, he was a yeah, he was the guy. So think about that. He almost swept the nationals like way before RC and James did. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how bad he. That's a, what a bad dude. The stories I heard from people who went to the farm in Alabama are just just factory Suzuki's everywhere, leaning against trees and whatever, because he would just ride them till they broke, and you guys would send them more. Is that? Can you back that up? Can you back those stories up? They weren't works bikes, but they were they were modified production bikes. Oh, okay, so he works bikes at the races only. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you can back those stories up. He just rode. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> apparently, it's funny because for a uh, three time twenty five national champion and a one time supercross champion, he's almost a little underrated. But when I talk to Hannah or Bailey or Osho. Like they're just like, dude. The guy was an animal. He was an animal. They, they, those guys aren't underrated at all. They're champions and heroes yeah. of the sport, and they all give Barnett nothing but props. Yeah, he was he was pretty tremendous for a while there. He was just untouchable. Um, uh, one one race I remember particularly was at Binghamton, New York. Um, on the start, he had crashed. And basically, after the first turn, he was about 15 seconds and basically ended up winning the race <laughs> about three quarters of the race through. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He, there was this big downhill at Bing, Binghamton, and he was passing 
passing one or two guys a lap there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was pretty uh, unbelievable to watch. Soft spoken guy, right? Like he was probably pretty easy to deal with for you. No, he was a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of like whatever. Just there's a photo of him with some bent bars, just still hauling ass somewhere. Oh you know, yeah. Like never complain, right? Like just just some animal. Um, yeah. It, it was funny because he so he won the eighty one Supercross title. He loses the eighty two by a couple of points. That was where he, he blasted through the Rose Bowl and almost came from way back at the Rose Bowl, I think, um, to almost get it. Eighty three, he loses it to Bailey, but his bike breaks at a race. Um, otherwise, he probably would have won eighty three. He's he's. I, I did the math one time, Pat. And I don't want to depress you, but he was like six points away from being like another two time Supercross champion. Yeah. You know, he was that good. He could have been three Supercross titles and three outdoor titles very easily. Yeah, he. Um, it was either in 83 or 84, he, he had a big crash um, and got a, another concussion. And that kind of hurt him a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. It took him out of a race. So. so in 82, when you take over, is uh, is Howerton still there? Howerton, yes. Barnett. I don't know if you have Burnworth yet. Probably not yet. Um, I think 83 Burnworth yeah, came in. Yeah, 83 Burnworth. So you got Howerton and Barnett, just a couple of heroes to deal with as your first year as a manager. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, don't screw this up, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to remember, too, what was going on back then is um, things uh, with the rules, rule changes and stuff and trying to catch up to that. And then the 83 things started to dwindle away. Right. Um, yeah, 83, you had to show up at Anaheim and look at those Hondas and be like, oh, shit. Like, oh, boy, right? Yeah. Well, I, 83 and 84, we had budget cuts as well. So oh, did you? That kinda, yeah, that kind of hurt things. What year, 84, you put the gas tank in the airbox for a while, right? Um, I think 84. Yeah, I believe it was that, that year. Um. You were ahead of your time because that's what Yamaha does now, and they got great motors. <laughs> <laughs> well, some I talked to some of the Yamaha guys, and and with their 450, some of the the issues that they were having early on are, yeah. were exactly the same issues we were having. Really, huh? Um, yeah. Because at some point, Bomber goes back to a production bike, which is horrible PR for you guys. Yeah. Right. Well, um, the that that was. That bike was specifically for Supercross. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was a lower. It was a lower chassis. Mm-hmm. They they we were you know they were trying different things at that time. So would would you get to try these things beforehand, like and go to Japan and test them, or would you literally? Because I've I've heard stories from Honda guys back then, like they would just they would go ride the bikes in Japan, and, were, and Honda was like, "Here's your bike." And then go, they ride in Japan, and then it came to America, you know, a few months later in a crate. But there yep. wasn't there wasn't much wasn't much say by the U.S. side on what the work spikes were going to be like. Same idea. No, it was it was pretty much the same idea. the The difference was is that that particular bike that you're talking about was a U.S. model specific for Supercross. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so it yeah, wasn't yep. going to Europe. Right, it wasn't a Europe thing. It wasn't used by those guys, uh, Gabor's and those guys back then. Um, right. Yeah, so again, as a manager, Barnett's like, hey, he's, he's not as good as he used to be. He's kind of fading a little bit at this point, but he's also done like, you must be pulling your hair out, trying to make him happy. Uh, 
like you said, he was he was pretty easy to work with. The problems that we had uh, related were were related to budget, and uh, mm-hmm. his he had some injuries too as well. Right later right. on, yeah. so it was kind of you see the same thing in all motocross. You know, the guys guys get injured. Did you want to keep him at the the end of '84, or did, was it time to time to go? Um, I wanted to keep him. You did, yeah. Yeah, but at that time, I believe he had a knee injury that was hampering him. Okay. Yeah, he went, he did one year at Cowie, and it's still the odd year in Barnett's career when you see a number nine on a Kawasaki that one year. You're like, <laughs> they're like that doesn't look right. Answer gear. Yeah. He goes to answer gear at number nine. You're like, no, none of that looks good. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and again, so Suzuki production bikes, 83, 84, 85 – not the greatest bikes anymore, right? Um, not what they used to be. And Honda's coming on, and you've got Kehoe and Holland, Burnworth, um, trying to make it work, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We had quite a few uh, riders back then moving, yeah. going forward. Healy. I think Healy was on the team. I don't know if Healy was a full factory guy or not one year, but I thought he was. Uh, Healy yeah. was. Yeah, Healy was. So. Yeah. Um, um, Bobby Moore. Back then, oh yeah, yeah. Did in eighty four and eighty five were they were they still factory bikes or were you moving towards production bikes at that point? I know Yamaha had already decided it, and were they yeah, production? We, were they production or? Yeah, they were. They had moved closer to production at that time. Right, right. So it was more of a. I mean, I, I, like like I've told this story over and over on my different shows. Honda was just so good. They were, they they would take guys like Mickey Diamond who rode a 500 and turn him into a champion, and George Holland, who was a good rider for you guys and won a lot of races, jumped on a Honda, became national champion. Like, it it was it was frustrating at times, I imagine, but not it wasn't just Suzuki. I think everyone was chasing him, huh? Yep. Back then, um, we had a pretty strong 125 team with Kehoe and Holland. Yep. Um, ended up finishing second. <laughs> like, to a Honda guy. Yeah, like three years in a row, I think. And then, I mean, yeah. you know, you look at Dogger. Like, I got a video in 85, Lachine's, the last year of the factory bikes. Lachine's, you know, 180 pounds or whatever at this point. I got a video from Millville. His bike looks ridiculous. Now, obviously, he's a great rider. But his bike is just, it's its blowing by factory bikes. You're just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, again, he's a great rider. But I, I think the bike was pretty good. Yep. So... Um, getting Osho in 87, how was that for you guys? Um, actually it was, it was a lot of fun as yeah. well. We had, we had Johnny and, uh, he brought his mechanic along, uh, Jim felt. Right. And that was, that was a lot, that was a lot of fun. He, he ended up going over to, um, Japan testing a lot over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hannah was involved in in a lot of that as well. Yeah, you guys had Hannah in 86. Um, what was that like trying to... Was He was kind of... I, I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was like, I'm going to race Suzuki, but I'm, I'm, I'm on a part-time schedule. I'm really trying to you know, work on production bikes. Was that kind of the deal? Um, well, remember? he... Hannah was going back and forth quite a bit to Japan back then. And... Uh, he was he was taking care of a lot of the um, production stuff and was it, moving the bike forward. Yeah, was it helping? Was it working? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 
Absolutely. We were, we were, like you said, we were kind of in a rebuilding process back then. Mm-hmm. I know he he rode the he won the USGP for you guys. He got some good rides here and there. Um, boys, yeah. he had the boys and Link on at one point <laughs> on a Suzuki. Do you remember that thing? Oh yeah, I yeah. went to. Um, There's a place outside of Unadilla that we tested it. Right. Apparently, he had his factory bike or his works bike, and then he had this Link bike right next to it or something. I heard the story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then he ended up riding the Link bike. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, everybody, with Pat Alexander. Appreciate it. Good times, good stories from a guy that's done it uh, and seen it all in the industry. Flyracing.com, please check them out on the web and uh, for the latest, greatest stuff from them and, and order it online in these COVID-19 times. You can uh, you can still easily get it. Thank you, Renthal as well. Uh, Red Bull, KTM, Honda, Kawasaki, all using Renthal products, of course. Uh, hashtag We Build Championships. Max's Tires, uh, MXSTs out now. Take a look. Ask your dealer about them. Order them online, MXSTs. I want to also thank the folks at Racetech, whether it's motors, whether it's suspension, the folks at Racetech can dial you in. Pulp 20 is a code to save as well at Racetech.com. And uh, show your bikes some love. The the Chaparral Honda team uh, runs Racetech motors and suspension. Jerry Robin breaking away, doing his own thing, but he's staying with Racetech, everybody. So, uh, yeah, show your bikes some love, all right? And just get Racetech to do it. And uh, whether it's modifications, whether it's rebuilds, they can uh, they can handle it all over there at Racetech, Racetech.com. Pulp 20 to save with them. All right, Fly Racing, Racer X Podcast with Pat Alexander. Here's part two. Um, so getting Johnny from Honda out, like, was that just an, a money deal for him? Were you fighting against other OEMs? Do you remember thinking, like, oh, we got to – I mean, he he was third – he was the third fastest guy or second fastest guy that whole year. You know, Bailey and Johnson were killing it. Um, what was that like to get him for you? It must have been a big deal. No, it was like I said. Yeah, they were good. He was a good guy. Um, um, he was he was asked to come on over. He said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And we we negotiated the contract with him, and off we went. He uh, hurt his knee, I think, right away, right? <laughs> Which, again, yeah. kind of sucks. Uh, I remember he had to miss some of the early, first races. Mm-hmm. So, um, But the production bikes are getting better at this point. Like, 89, is that the first year that Johnny and Bob's handiwork kind of comes to the forefront? Um, yes. You, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Um, 88, end of 88 was was the real start okay yeah i remember the 88 rm250 was like drastically different it was a one-year model only right because 89 they kind of changed again but it was yeah yeah, it was really funny how back then you didn't have three or four year cycles suzuki literally put out a brand new bike in 88 and then literally put out a bike brand new bike in 89 so yeah um at this time you're working you're managing your man well hannah's doing still some races in 89 oh show Anaheim won eighty nine. By the way, Pat, oh, what does that one rank on the on the kick in the ball scale for you? <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, there. That was just one of many. <laughs> <laughs> he he was gonna win it, right? Like, I, there's no doubt he was gonna win it. Yeah. And then, so the the cycle news says he had a tie steering stem. That broke? Is that is that was that right? No. Oh, okay. No. That wasn't correct. Okay. It was an aluminum steering stem. Ah, okay. Damn. Um and it we had tested with it and saw a flaw in it, but uh 
we didn't think that was an issue, and it was. Oh, really? Shit. Yep. Yeah. Well, it could have been for Johnny and your and the team and everything else. It would have been great. It was a brand new bike, and you know, Anaheim one eighty one eighty nine. He's he was looking good to win it. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I don't know how you don't lose your hair over this shit, Pat. <laughs> well, I'm nearly bald now. I so. guess, I know, right? <laughs> but this this stuff would just, like, in the motocross history, like, what could have been if Johnny had done that, and who knows, you know, it would have been a great thing for him and, and Suzuki and everybody else, you know, but yep. as it is, yeah, it, steering stem brakes, and, and that's it. So um, at the end of 89, so you got O'Mara leaves, goes to Cowie. Hannah's officially done, I think, his last race. Um, what was it like to manage Bob? Was he's as, I mean, I've done a lot of interviews with him, and as soon as you hit record, he turns into Bob Hanna. But away from the microphones, is he what he is? He is the way that we all think he is. Um, like no, he, not really. No, like he was he was good to work for. He wouldn't tell you to f off. He wouldn't say the bike's a piece of crap or nothing like none of that. No, no, no. no. We okay. worked we worked hard at. Uh setting up a bike for him um he knew what he always wanted um he pushed he pushed us and japan to get him what he needed to make the bike better ultimately was it a good investment by you guys like did he make a difference yeah i believe so yeah yeah i know later on like talking to denny stevenson and larry and these guys in 90 when bob was like an advisor and they've all just told me like bob was disgusted in them you know, they weren't training. They were just kids, right? <laughs> Bob was like, I'm trying to help you idiots, but <laughs> you guys aren't really help, aren't really listening. Yeah. So in 90, Ron Heben becomes the manager. Uh, what do you do? What do you end up doing? You get elevated? You get promoted? Um, well, back then, I'd already started on a project called Sports Promotion. Okay. Um, we'd started on that back in, I think it was 87, um, where we were trying to help out the amateur program uh very much like uh Cowie was doing with team green oh okay yeah. so but uh you got to remember back then we had uh r&d yep which was the big mini mini bike thing for us um we brought up lots of guys you know buddy antonez comes to mind jimmy gaddis, gaddis yeah they were great um, yeah yeah and then uh, we had an unfortunate uh, issue with uh, uh, Hemi and uh, Fleming being yeah. killed. Yeah. Yep. So that was that was part of the R and D group. Um, Bruce Bunch, right? Yep. Yep. Bruce Bunch. Excuse me. Now I missed on that one. When I talk to Brooks, he tells me. I mean, you know, it's a sad story, and we, it's written. He tells me Bruce Bunch would have been great. Would have been amazing. You, you yeah. believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he was good. It it hurt my boss more than anything. Um, my boss was a Japanese guy by the name of Tosh Koyama, mm-hmm. and he he was th- those were his kids, is what he used to. Really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. He he really liked those those guys. Yep. You know all all the mini bike kids really, but that that really took a toll on him. Yeah. When, yeah. Incredibly sad happened. story at Ponca. So yeah. Gaddis is coming up and Budman's coming up and I mean they're they're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So are you how many like is the budget for is Suzuki giving you a big budget for this kind of stuff and to to get amateurs? I mean is this it's all funneled to R&D like you said, but 
was it full guns blazing for Suzuki to try to try to dump money in the amateur programs? Well, it, that's yeah. Yeah. R and D was working on the eighty five stuff. Okay. Yep. But but they didn't want to uh, step up and work with some of the other one twenty five and two fifty mm-hmm. riders. They just wanted to stay with the eighty five. So we had to build up something to support you know, the, the sure. other kids. Yep. So that's when sports promotion came in. Um, Joe Colin Barrow and I worked on, on that project. Um, like I said, back in the late eighties, yep. we, uh, you know, we basically started it out with trying to introduce, uh, the guys that came to Ponca city and Loretta Lynn's on how to work on your motorcycle. Oh, okay. Um, you know, guys. Yep. Guys would show up with for uh, for a national championship. They, you know, Jim Felt was a good example. He, I, I sent Jim Felt and uh, I think Jeff Jeff Clark back then. Mm-hmm. I think was still working with us, and I sent him back to Ponca. Yep. To to help uh, with this project, and it was mainly to get these kids. To understand, well, mo- mostly the parents to understand. If you're at a national championship, you need to have a, yeah. a decent bike, <laughs> right? right. Uh, so that was that was a project that we started out with, uh, and we brought our our guys. Like I said, Jim Felt. Yeah, uh, he he's a pretty smart guy, right? Mechanic. He was a smart yeah. guy. Yeah, I've heard well, a champion stories. mechanic yeah. and yeah. just uh, a nice guy to, and he. He went out and helped help the kids, you know, help, help the parents mm-hmm. understand how to work on a motorcycle. And so, yeah, so this is what you're doing at this point. You're you're involved yeah. in this. You're you're helping. I this. started. Yeah. We started that out, and then um, my boss uh, at that time said, "Well, um, it's getting it's getting quite large. Yeah. We're going to split you from racing into sports promotion, and then." Um, I moved over to the sports promotion group. And so it was a new it was a new position at Suzuki. Were you were you responsible for the biggest factory team in the history of the sport in 1990, Pat? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I had nine box fans, dude. Early on, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. The 1990 Suzuki team. There's a there's a team photo out there, and good God. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, not a lot of money. I guess the, back then the salaries weren't huge, but big names and, and a lot of guys. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Ward, Mike LaRocco, Danny Stevenson, uh, Budman, Gaddis. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably missing somebody in there. Buell, maybe. I don't know. Lamy, there was yeah. <laughs> there was quite a few. I'd, I'd have to look back quite, quite far. I, I don't know if... Uh, if I gave you a test, could you get it? Could you name them all? If I well, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think as you're saying this. I think Dement maybe was in there at that time. I'm yeah, not sure. Right. Um, let me see. Uh, for, I'm trying to think of the names now. For for guys like that, is this kind of is this like an and kind of through these years. Is this all Pat Alexander's call? I mean, you have Toshi, right? Who was Suzuki forever, um, and I've heard I've heard lots of stories about him. But is this something like? Do you have ultimate power to hire and fire a rider, or do you have to run it up the chain, get approval, and then go after him? 
or are you at the races kind of scouting, looking at contract situation, that kind of stuff? No, it was, it was by, um, committee mainly. Okay. I, I, I went out and looked at these guys mm -hmm. and, and they would ask me, why don't you go after this guy or that guy? And I had my own pick and, yep. you know, we kind of, we kind of put it all together. Is there a guy that you wanted that you came close to getting or a guy that they <laughs> got somebody that shot you down, but you, they went on to do good things or vice versa. Was there somebody that maybe, you know, didn't work well, out the way you thought it would. There was two in particular that yeah. when I say, you're going to go, what guy by the name of, um, Jeremy McGrath. Oh yeah. He turned out all right. Um, we were at Ponca city and I was talking to his dad. What year about, is this? What? Oh God. Like he was on Honda as an 89 Cowie's in 90. So it was probably an 80. Yamaha. Okay. Seven. He was on Yamaha's then. Yeah. He was just coming up. Okay. Um, at that time at Ponca city. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if we had a chance or not, but I, I talked to the dad. They seemed to be pretty interested, and he broke his leg at Ponca City. And I'm like, oh, well, that was that one's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the other one was a guy by the name of Chad Reed. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He, um, raced, we got, he raced for you guys in 99, right? At, at yeah, San but, Diego, right? Yeah, but well before then. Yeah. When he was over in Australia, we got a we got a fax from Australia asking, um, "Do you, uh, do you want to hire this kid, Chad Reed?" Uh -huh. And he, I guess, he was winning all the Australian championships over there at that yeah, time. Yeah. And so we said, "Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Send him over. We'll you know, we'll try him out." Mm -hmm. Well wasn't long after that we got another fax that said he got injured and don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny so as as life goes on with injuries that's yeah i mean everybody talks about injuries now it was back then as well yeah back then too and, and funny that um like i said in 99 chad shows up rides san diego just, you know just as a privateer on a suzuki he told me that he got some parts from Suzuki back. I mean, I don't, you, you, I don't know if you were there or whoever, but he got parts from Raj or, you know, handlebars and some sprockets and stuff. But you know how it was back then. It's probably like, yeah, 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 here you go, kid. Beat it. You know what I mean? And then three years later, he comes in and he's just the, the, the hero. So, um, oh, we missed Guy Cooper in 92. You picked up Guy Cooper. Yeah. Yep. Who delivers you a national championship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was... And you, you want to talk about full circle of letting Brock buy. So you guys don't have a 500. Um, you know, LaRocco and Larry and these guys drop down to 125s and they help Guy win. I mean, there's no doubt about it, which is fine. Yeah. That's how it goes. But, <laughs> right? Like, that, like it all comes back full circle. So, yep. Uh, but you, are you going to the races now as much or no? Um, well, I, I try to get to the first supercrosses. No, I meant in like, like 90, like back then. Like, like are you, because you're doing the amateur stuff, Hebens running uh, the racing. No, I, I tapered off. Did you? The, yeah. Yeah. From the pro side. Right. Right. I was, I was busy building, building on the, um, sports promotion yeah. program. And did you like that better? It was a different, uh, how did you like dealing was, with parents and all that kind of stuff? It was fun. It was, was it? Yeah. it was very enjoyable. Um, you know, trying, 
trying to move these kids forward. Um, you know, I, I've always said it doesn't matter if if Suzuki keeps them or not, as long as they get, get going forward. Right. Um, you ever guys, you guys ever think about coming out with a 65 around this time? Cause Cowie's just crushing it with this thing. Um, we were thinking about fifties and 65s back then. Were you? Yeah. 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 Never got, never got, never came out though, huh? Well, they, we had some, but they weren't, uh, they weren't race units. Right. Right. Um, the JR50 back then. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't really a race thing, right? So no. Uh, DeCoster comes over in like '95 with Albie, uh, but you're yep. you know, that doesn't. Do you have much say in that? Do they ask? Do they run it by you? Do they say like, hey, we're we're we're, we're getting this icon guy? What do you remember about that time? Um, no, I wasn't part of that. Um, that decision that was up up above us, right? Um, Roger. Roger obviously was working for Suzuki way back in the seventies. Right. In fact, my first trip to Japan, I met Roger and Garrett Walsink as a mechanic. I was putting bikes together over there, and they were testing. So oh, really? Was, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah, really, right? I mean, because Roger's this is in his middle of his championships at this point, right? Yeah. At some point, um, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so how is how is the amateur thing going? Are you getting? Are you getting traction? Are you starting to, to to get bikes, parts, support? Starting to get some stuff going on. This is the mid nineties. Oh, yeah. yeah, we had quite a few riders that we brought up through the ranks back then. Yeah, it, was... it it seemed like you guys would churn out quite a bit of guys. You know, I don't know if uh, it, it was like Suzuki or Cowie were now the guys in amateur racing back then. It feels like. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we, we'd um, move pretty far forward with that program. Does it translate into sales? How are sales around this time? I know in the early nineties um, they kind of cratered a little bit, but no, the sales sales started increasing a bit um, at that time. Mm -hmm. so, so, so you can directly relate, like, hey, support because whatever chunk of sales and slash marketing you know gets increased or decreased based on year to year profitability, I would guess, right? So the pro the, the program needs to be you know, so funded well, and that has to come from sales and marketing, right? Yeah, but it's also a wide range of things. Mm -hmm. You know, back then we had contingency going on as we do now. Yeah. There's, you know, supporting kids, you know, support, actually supporting promoters and stuff like that. So there's it's, a there's a famous Suzuki story, and, and I'm glad you're on because you can confirm or deny this. Did you have a lot to do with contingency programs? Um, I had quite a bit, but this, this one guy, his name's Hank Oda. Okay. Uh, started off the contingency for Suzuki, um, for the road race. Okay. And then we just continued it on from there. So there's a story, it, it's probably, it's probably an urban legend at this point, Pat. So like in 90, I want to say 93 92, 93, 94, somewhere in there, there was a ton of people riding Suzuki's, and you guys were paying a ton of people. It was uh, a lucrative contingency, a lot of series, a lot of bikes, a lot of parts. I know, like, up in Canada, uh, all of our top pros switched to Suzuki's. Like, Ross was still on them, but then Carl switched, Carl Valancourt switched, a couple other guys switched. And then I heard that the guy at Suzuki got fired because you guys had to pay so much money out. Is this an urban legend? Or is this true? No, okay, no, no. Okay, all right, okay. No, what what had happened 
because I was in charge of the contingency, so I I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So, so all right, urban legend then. But, but you can confirm that you guys went crazy with contingency around then. Like it was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, we had we had some some good contingency going around at that point. Um, you're probably you're probably speaking about the off road program back then. We had we had one of our guys that was doing the off road contingency. Okay. Because you got to remember. We started splitting up sports promotion mm-hmm. and as we were growing. Uh, sports promotion started out with just uh, motocross, um, and then we ventured on into you know road racing, mm-hmm. and then we went into flat track, ATV, drag racing. I mean, you guys were we doing were, everything. <laughs> yeah, we were. That was all built up from our sports promotion group. At some point, wasn't there a factory quad race team like in the late nine, eight, late eighties? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was the beginning. Um, right. Chuck Chuck Miller, if you ever talked to him, he was one of the mechanics. On oh, he was. Oh, I didn't yeah. know. That. I just thought Chuck was an off road racer forever. I didn't know no, he, was, he, he was a mechanic. He came over to Suzuki one year and, and worked on that. Oh shit! That I will project. ask Chuck one hundred percent about that <laughs> about working on a quadzilla back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, God, hey, you want to talk about printing money? You guys selling those quads? Like, yeah. I, I don't know what they sold, but it must have been insane numbers. That was that was probably one of the funner funner times um, at the very beginning because we just we had tested the those quads. Yeah, um, we'd tested them all over the place and mainly out in the desert. Well, yeah, away from no, people yeah, nobody stuff. wants to. You don't want to show anybody, right? Yeah, nobody nobody kind of knew what was going on, and then we showed up at Ascot um, for one of the night races. That was the first time that that bike was raced. Must have blew everybody's and was, minds. And it was all mechanics, basically. Yeah, yeah. That were working in, <laughs> in the back of the shop in the test riders. Yeah. And they ended up winning easily over the three wheelers, obviously. Yeah. And then we went to Corona. Either the next night or the night after, and then did the same thing again, and that was the start, dude. And then like all the other OEMs are like, "Oh, damn it!" Right? Like, like you know, <laughs> like you guys just dropped a bomb on them, and then yeah, at some point, Hannah races one at a Supercross somewhere along the lines. <laughs> Bob jumps on one and does a halftime show or a race or something on them, and of course, yeah. Gary Denton's just crushing it for years. So yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. Like like you said, like it, it, nice to see you guys, you know, invent something like that, and it, it changed. Three wheelers were gone within a couple of years. No one wanted yeah. them anymore, right? I mean, there was some government stuff too, but but I think yeah, famous guy at Suzuki, uh, Aki Goto, mm-hmm. was the one that got that started. Really? Yeah, he's the he's the equivalent to the Japanese guy. I forget his name now at Yamaha that first built the four stroke. <laughs> like they were like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, yeah, I can make a four stroke, like a competitive four stroke. Yeah, 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 whatever. You know what I mean? Go ahead. Here's <laughs> here's a little bit of R and D money. Go ahead. And then next thing you know, boom, right? Yep. Um. So okay. So the whole time you're you're now doing amateur stuff throughout the '90s. Is that kind of where we're at with you? Yep. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And you're enjoying this. Uh, who are you? What happened to Ben Riddle, Pat? What happened to Ben Riddle? He was gonna be so good. Ben Riddle was uh, one of Cole's guys. Yeah. Cole Grass. Um, yep. Yep. 
um, not sure where that that ended up. Yeah. So you hire Cole kind of underneath you to, to go to all these stuff? Is that yeah? Some, yeah. Well, Cole Cole originally uh, we had we had done another switch in that um, I was in charge of racing at that at that point. Oh, so like all I, racing. Pretty much, there okay. was there was two as or two different uh, programs. Still, again at that time, there was what we called the this um, factory team, which mm-hmm. was the road race program, and Mister Ito was running it. Mm-hmm. And then you had the motocross side of it, and Roger was running that. And then then our group um, was handling all the all the sports promotion stuff and contingency. Were you? And then I hired Cole Grass as a contingency coordinator, and then we moved him into the amateur motocross after I pulled out of that. Okay, and so were you? Help, were you doing support teams then too? Like all these pro support teams, or who was doing that kind of stuff? Because there seemed uh, like there was a ton of those guys riding Suzuki's too for a while. Yeah, we had a group of guys okay. that was that was taking care of that. Um, it started out with a guy by the name of Bill Siphon when it was doing road race. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Webb was doing off road yep. back then. And, uh, myself, I was in charge of motocross. And then, um, when we really got moving, when I, uh, was, it got to be in charge. It, uh, I, I ventured between ATV and dirt track because those were the two smallest oh, okay. of the programs. So I was running the department and then then basically doing those two events. My road race guy was doing drag racing as well. Jeez. And then my off road guy was also doing dual sport. Yeah, yeah. And then and then amateur was so big back then it was on its own. Yeah. God, that's a lot of things that, you know, as a guy like me who's just buried in Supercross motocross, you know, you don't really take a look around that much. It's, you guys are doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, you should yeah. open your eyes one of these times. I know, right? I, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, I just Supercross motocross. That's all I know, Pat. That's it. That's all I'm involved in. Um, by the way, um, I meant to give you shit uh, a while ago. You needed to uh, hire Ross Peterson full time at some point. I, I can't believe that never happened. Uh, I was very dis- disappointed as a childhood hero of mine. Ross was a legend, and uh, he should have got a U.S. shot. That's all. That's what. That's all. So. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, at one point we did test with Ross. He came over and we helped him out over here. Really? Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. Um. So Dunge, Ryan Dungey. This is uh, obviously. I did a podcast with Cole. Uh, there's an answer guy around this time. There's Roger going on. Uh, what do you remember about Ryan Dungey, Suzuki B rider, and, and a good rider, but you know not great, getting a shot at the factory team for Millville, and you know the end of that year. Well, you got to look at the start there. Um, for me, my last riders were uh, Pastrana and Millsaps were the big heroes mm-hmm. for me. Um, I had Hepler and Jessman back then as well. Yep. Coming up through, from the amateur ranks, Charlie Bogart, you know, a few of those guys. Okay, and then I stopped. Then came Cole. Cole brought in um, Dungy. He brought in quite a few guys. Yeah. Tomac. Yeah, Jeremy Martin. <laughs> Tomac yeah. was riding for us back yeah. then. Yeah. Um, there was, there was, he, he had a good selection. He had a good eye for some talent and he was bringing them in. 
And then um, basically from there, um, it was actually <laughs> it was uh, Jason Lawrence and and Dungey were the two two biggest amateurs for us at that point. And uh, Dungey ended up going forward um, with Cole, and then Cole pushed him on Roger, mm-hmm. and then finally Roger got a. Um, got tired of cold bothering him and, <laughs> so, and let let Dungey try some stuff out and then Roger ended up hiring him. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty remarkable story when you look at yeah. the roots and where it came from and where it ended up, you know, for you guys and everything. So yeah, crazy. Um God Pastrana must have been a handful back then for you. <laughs> um <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. That's a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can can almost write a book on that one, right? God, you know, and he just left Suzuki too, like whatever, six months ago, just couldn't get any more two strokes. He just couldn't do it. So we, we love the guy. Yeah. He, he, he was, uh, I always said like to me, Pastrana at his prime and I was a mechanic back then. He did things as, as amazing as James to me. He just was a shorter lifespan, obviously, but he was that good of a rider. He was amazing, yeah. you know. So, I, I mean, obviously, it didn't work out, but uh, with injuries. But he won. I mean, he won a national. He won a national championship. So, not like it didn't work out. But well, even even back then, he was still thinking about doing backflips and yep. and jumping further than anybody else, and you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, he he had so much talent. But he couldn't. He couldn't really pull it. Pull it into just motocross. Yeah. It had to go everywhere. Yeah. So, uh, who's the amateur kid that didn't? And Travis doesn't fall into this category. But who's the amateur kid that didn't work out that you would have bet a lot of money on that would have? You know, Bogard. When you brought up Bogard, I remember how fast he was, and that kind of kind of jogged my mind a little bit. But is there a guy that should have made it, and you're surprised he didn't? Um. Oh, there's been a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, just jogging my memory right now, um, Jessman's yeah. is a good example, one that should have made it. Um, Brock Hepler, was that was just tragic. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was, he and his parents, I, you know, when he started out with us, they were trying to figure out whether he was going to be a, a soccer player or a motocrosser. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, huh. but yeah, there's there's been there's been a lot of them, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Can you can you narrow it down to one or two things as to why a rider doesn't make it? Is there things that you've seen over your years, and and that's plenty of them, either as a manager or as the amateur guy or anything else that kind of rings true whether it's crazy parents whether it's pressure whether it's not training not taking it serious like is there a is there things that you always see that you're like yep saw this in 89 and i see it now or whatever like are there something like that yeah yeah there's you know there's certain traits that you know there's there's a lot of pressure on kids okay they go they're in school and they're trying to do motocross they're trying to you know trying to do a lot of things but then what what they first run into is girls 
okay? Right. They get back past the girl thing, then you got school parties. <laughs> they get they get past the school parties and then you got training. And if they can if they can just concentrate on training and you know, moving forward to the next level, then they've got it. But if they get through girlfriends and and partying, then they pretty much have got it made. <laughs> if they could just get through that, right? Yeah. 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 The other thing is injury. If they can get rid of that, then that's that's another thing that takes them out. Um. Yeah. It's uh. You're right. And yeah. It's it's just it's a minefield of of things that kids get caught in, right? And yeah. Uh, and, and and yeah. It, it's the, the guys that make it. You just go, wow. Okay. All right. Some guys make it that shouldn't have, and some guys that should make it never do. And you, it's always, yeah, strange. Um, do you remember where you were when they said we signed Ricky Carmichael? Um, where was I? Oh, I was in a meeting. Yep. Um, with Mel Harris, who was our vice president back then. Okay, yeah. And they went and signed Ricky. That was yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty, pretty gnarly. Um, and I mean, I remember thinking as a, you know, a guy on, a, on another team thinking, wow, you know, Suzuki's got to come up with a four stroke. They don't have a four stroke yet. So they got to come up with that. The two stroke was a good bike though. The 252 stroke was still a, a really strong bike, but mm -hmm. you know, I wonder if they can come up with a four stroke and damn it. You did. <laughs> uh, he's certainly pushing, pushing the limits of all the equipment though. Huh? Yeah, no, he was. Again, it, it comes down to um, sending him to Japan and working working with a, a brand new product. Right. I mean, the you know the other companies had already come out with four strokes, but we we established our four stroke over in Japan mm -hmm. and then tested it and then brought it into production. I remember too, it, it, God, he would he'd be revving the shit out of that thing and be popping and farting. And I remember thinking, it ain't going to last. It's not going to last. Like at Southwick or wherever, you know? And, and damn it, it always did. I was at Yamaha at the time, so, you know, we weren't so happy that it always lasted, but it did. <laughs> uh, although, hey, do you remember the first race for the RC? The clutch basket broke at the at the U.S. Open? It's like, oh, shit, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's some of the things you deal with with yeah. brand, new, brand new types. Um. The, the decision to, well, for I guess Roger leaving, was that a shock to you? Were you surprised that uh, KTM got him and Ian to go over? How, how'd that go down for you in your eyes? Um, It was, I guess it, you'd have to say it was Roger's time. Yeah. He, he had spent a, a number of years with us, and he I guess he felt it was time to move on. Mm -hmm. Were surprising to you, or? um Yeah, a little bit. Yeah little bit um what about the decision a few years ago to put everything into into yosh uh the, the race team obviously yoshimir and suzuki have a huge history together right i mean tons of wins yeah. on the road race side and developments and everything else but what was that like for were you worried about your job were you were you thinking you know this is a this is a bad thing this is a good thing that certainly caught a lot of people in the industry by surprise well um Yosh, Yosh had a lot of resources back then, mm -hmm. and um, Roger, Roger needed some space to, you know, to bring his semis 
in and do do all that, and there just didn't seem to be the right amount of space over at at um, Brea. Okay. So it was just a it was a natural to send send him over to to Yoshimura, and Yoshimura had just built the racing shop over there. Mm-hmm. They were originally over in um, well, they were started out in Chino. Um, off a of Carter Court, and then they moved moved to this new facility. Okay, and that's when that's when Roger came in. Uh, so yeah, well, it had to be had to be. I mean, it was more than space, though. I would guess, right? A little bit of resources too. And Suzuki's like, hey, these guys can do a better job or as good of a job. I don't know. It just seems strange to me at the time. Well, no, it was um, it's just putting putting their heads together mm-hmm. and. Um, it was a lot of it was space, you know, trying to get Roger was trying to get more space for his mechanics and stuff. And basically, um, Suzuki had other things going on Mm -hmm. that, um, that it was just kind of just the best thing to move out to Chino for those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting for sure. Um, and obviously, you know, going on, from there, you got you got the the Yoshimura team, you know, still getting factory parts, factory bikes, RCH, Ken Roxon winning a championship. It's actually surprising, Pat. Uh, a few years ago, you guys ran an ad on the on the nationals. It said, you know, the winningest 450 of the last decade, and I was like, what? Huh? And, and it's true. Like when you look at Ricky and Roxon, yeah. um, you got to look at the the history of the bike and it caught me by surprise. I'll be honest. Cause I thought Honda or Cowie or whatever. Well, not Honda cause they, they haven't won anything since Ricky left. But, uh, so I feel like I said that stat a few times to people and, and, and they were like, really? And I'm like, yeah, think about it. Like Ricky and, and Kenny and I'm probably missing somebody in there. Uh, Dungy. Dungy, yeah, Dungy. Exactly. Um, you know, so you feel like you hear something like that and you're like, Oh yeah, shit. That that's an awesome program. That's a, that's a good bike. You know what I mean? I don't always feel like, you guys get all the credit that you deserve, you know? So that's, that's all. No, it's, I mean, we were the first with fuel injection back then. I mean, um, first of the Japanese bikes with fuel injection. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, Cannondale had the first fuel injected four stroke. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Cannondale had the air box, uh, the gas tank in the air box also. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give him some credit where credit's due, right? Yeah, um, but uh like all airbox bikes lately. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, it's it's uh it's an interesting journey for you and Suzuki over the years. God, you must have so much Suzuki product. Did you at one point, Pat, did you did you have a Suzuki street bike and you had a Suzuki dirt bike and then you had a, a sidekick, uh you had a boat motor. Did you have everything at one point, Pat, Suzuki at some point? No, other than the boat motor, I had pretty much all the other stuff. Okay, <laughs> so you did have it. All right. And, yeah, good and to be honest with you, my first bike, my first real motorcycle was a 120 Suzuki. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you must have a lot of pride at Suzuki and all the things that you've done over the years in the industry. I mean, well, it's, it's cool. It's been a good company to work for. It's um, They've kept me busy. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, always moving forward. It's too bad Chris Wheeler drags you guys down so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. He's a good friend of mine. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, wheel- wheelers are used to be our test dummies. So. Yeah. Yeah, him and Rich Taylor, test guys, just back yep. then. Yeah, just 
conventional forks, right side up forks. They were there for all of that. (laughs) So what uh, was there a particular era for you that your favorite at Suzuki? Was there like a, like I said at the top, you've done a lot of things at Suzuki. You continue to do a lot of things at Suzuki. Was there a favorite era for you as far as uh, at Suzuki? Oh God, that's, that's a hard one. Yeah. Um, there's so many. Um, I mean, you go, you go back to my first years with Daniel Port. There's there's some really uh, special times there. Um, then you go on to the next generation as a team manager, working with Barnett and yep. um, building up some of the the groups with that. Um, and in sports promotion, work working that um, seemed to be, I got a lot of value Did out you? of that. Yeah. yeah. So the crazy mini parents and amateur parents weren't enough to drive you out of that. Drive you crazy. <laughs> like, like, like everybody was pretty cool. Uh, you, yeah. you know, it's like anything else you have, you have your good ones, your bad ones. Yeah. Uh, I try to remember the good ones more than the bad ones. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> but, right. But the right? bad ones do show up once in a while. God, you, when, when you said Millsaps and Hepler and Pastrana and Jessamine, I started thinking uh-huh. like, God, that was some serious speed from Suzuki guys back then, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember Guerra, Mike Guerra, when I was at Yamaha, he didn't really, I don't think he really liked this part of it, but one time he was running the amateur stuff at, at Yamaha. And I don't know. We had nobody at Yamaha. And I'm like, Guerra, like, go find Millsaps and Hepler. Go find these guys. I said, you let Villapoto go. You know, he was a Yamaha 80 rider, and <laughs> I think he really liked it. But I started naming off all the Suzuki amateur riders then that were killing it. Probably Jessamine, too, was one of them. <laughs> I was like, go find these guys. Go get them. <laughs> so. Well, I, I had a lot of friends in the industry that helped me out. So. Yeah. Uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast presented by Renthal and Maxis with Pat Alexander from Suzuki. Uh, thanks, Pat. Thanks for the time, man. I, I appreciate it. God, uh, yeah, you know, probably need to do a part two of these down the road. I got so many more questions about about riders and bikes and teams over the years. But no, nah, man, it was uh, it was really cool to do this uh, again. Congratulations on everything you've done in the industry. It's it's awesome, and uh, you've been part of some great stuff: bikes, teams, riders over the years. So, uh, yeah, man, thanks for doing this. Continued success. Well, thanks for allowing me on. Cool. Thanks, Pat. Uh huh. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart, there's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone 
even harder, jump farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I just pulled pitch and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years go by.